Good evening. As the Russian invasion of Ukraine continues, the White House dispatches the Vice President to Europe. The far left moves to renew the ERA in a bizarre way, John Kerry has a hot take on refugees, the TSA talks masks, and Disney becomes a post-family company. It's March 10th, 2022. I'm Michael Coyne, and you're listening to Liberty Caller. We begin today with an update on the Russian aggression against Ukraine. A number of global corporations have ceased operations in Russia this week, including American companies McDonald's, Coca-Cola, PepsiCo, Apple Inc., and General Electric. International companies suspending their operations or ending joint ventures with Russia include IKEA and oil giants BP and Shell. It remains to be seen if these actions will dissuade Russian President Vladimir Putin, or if he's already anticipated this economic blowback simply factoring it in as the cost of doing business while accomplishing his goals. In a related story, Biden administration has dispatched Vice President Kamala Harris to Europe to meet with European leaders on the ongoing Russia-Ukraine conflict. This is a historically unusual move, as presidents have traditionally handled wartime meetings with world leaders themselves, rather than dispatching their vice presidents or secretaries of state. But if Vice President Harris's masterful handling of the situation on America's southern border is any indication, Europe is in good hands. Yeah, okay. In any event, among issues sure to be discussed by the Vice President is a proposal from the Polish government to give, free of charge, a number of Soviet-era MiG-29 fighter jets over to the U.S. government to be turned over to Ukraine. In exchange, the Polish government wants the opportunity to discuss buying newer fighters from the American government. The Biden administration has rejected this proposal, claiming that the move would violate President Putin's so-called red line on NATO intervention in Russian affairs. My question is this, what line has Mr. Putin already crossed? Oh, that's right, it's called the Ukrainian border. U.S. Senator Lindsey Graham said the following to Newsmax TV, quote, We're not going to let Putin run NATO. We're not going to let Putin gobble up people because we're afraid of him. He continued in the same interview, Putin's not about having a buffer zone with NATO. It's about reconstructing the former Soviet Union. Would you want to live under Putin's Russia? I wouldn't, so I don't blame the Ukrainians for not wanting to let Putin run their country. Senator Graham went on to justify his position in favor of giving the MiGs to the Ukrainians by claiming that he did not believe that Putin would be willing to let the situation escalate into World War III. While I agree with much of Graham's assessment, I must disagree with that last point. Mr. Putin has already shown his hand. In 2008, Russia went to war with the former Soviet Republic of Georgia, make, marking the first European war of the 21st century. In 2014, Russia annexed Crimea, making further steps towards re-expanding Russia's Cold War-era boundaries. And in 2022... Russian propaganda outlets claimed that parts of Ukraine had been overrun by Nazis, thus justifying his quote-unquote liberation of Ukraine. One of the first targets hit by Russians in the invasion of Ukraine was a kindergarten. This week, Russia shelled a maternity hospital, killing three people, including a six-year-old, and injuring another 17. Senator Graham may be correct in the broadest sense that Vladimir Putin does not want World War III. However, it's patently obvious that his sole priority is re-establishing the Soviet Union. 
Much like Hitler marching into the Sudetenland, I doubt Putin would be surprised or dissuaded by U.S.-NATO intervention. Mr. Putin is not a stupid man. He's made his arrangements and solidified his allies. Reports by CBN News indicate that Russia alerted Chinese President Xi Jinping of his intention to invade Ukraine in advance, even obliging a request from Beijing to wait, until, wait to start his military action until after the Beijing Olympics. This intensifies mounting speculation that China is preparing to mirror Russia's actions by attempting to take military action to retake Taiwan. So, yes, give Ukraine the MiGs. Then say a prayer for peace while bracing for war, because I think we're past the point where we have any say in the matter. Mr. Putin has made his decision. We'll be right back. The U.S. Special Envoy for Climate, John Kerry, is a face that just won't go away. After losing the 2004 presidential election to incumbent President George W. Bush, Kerry returned to his role as a U.S. Senator for Massachusetts before becoming President Obama's Secretary of State in 2013. Today, 78-year-old Kerry is President Biden's climate czar. Kerry has been in public service since being elected Lieutenant Governor of Massachusetts in 1982. In his 40 years in public service, Kerry has assembled a history of gaffes that puts many politicians of both parties to shame, but his latest may be a candidate for the Kerry Hall of Fame. While speaking this week to the Sierra Week Conference, an annual energy conference that was held this year in Houston, Texas, Kerry insultingly minimized the plight of refugees running from Ukraine as a result of Russian aggression indicating that he believed this crisis to pale in comparison, his words, to the coming wave of what Kerry calls climate refugees. Kerry's comments are as follows. We're already seeing climate refugees around the world. If you think migration has been a problem in Europe from the Syrian war, or even from what we see now, where do you see 100 million people for whom the entire food production capacity has collapsed? That was U.S. Special Envoy for Climate John Kerry trying to fit his foot into his exceptionally large mouth. In other news, if you're planning on traveling by air or by any sort of public transportation, make sure you still have your face mask ready. The Transportation Security Administration today announced that they are extending their mask mandate until at least April 18th. This despite a recent open letter from a group of trade associations urging an end to mask mandates. These associations included the U.S. Travel Association, the American Hotel and Lodging Association, and Airlines for America. It's also worth noting that the fears of the COVID-19 pandemic apparently weren't very severe on February 28th of this year, when the U.S. House of Representatives revoked their own mask mandate to allow for President Biden to deliver his State of the Union address a day later, maskless, to a maskless joint session of Congress. I suppose what's good for our government representatives isn't necessarily good for us lowly travelers on commercial airlines. Members of Congress, call your offices. Marie Antoinette on line one. We'll be right back. Fifty years ago this month, the U.S. Senate passed the proposed Equal Rights Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, turning the matter over to the legislatures of the states to ratify. Beginning on March 22, 1972, the amendment had a deadline of seven years for three-fourths of the state legislatures to ratify the amendment and make it part of the Constitution. The text of the ERA is as follows. Quote, 
Equality of rights under the law shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of sex. The Congress shall have the power to enforce, by appropriate legislation, the provisions of this article. This amendment shall take effect two years after the date of ratification. End quote. March of 1979 came and went with only 30 states ratifying the amendment, not the requisite 38. Five additional states voted to ratify the amendment, then voted to rescind their ratification. Congress passed, and President Jimmy Carter signed, an extension of this deadline to 1982. No additional states moved to ratify the amendment in that time frame. From a constitutional standpoint, the ERA was dead. Nevertheless, some on the left have continued to try to find ways to ignore the deadline and force through the ERA. Arguments from the left have included the notion that the deadline doesn't matter, that states are not permitted to rescind their ratification, or that states that ratified the amendment after 1982 should be counted towards the ultimate adoption of the amendment. Constitutional scholars of various political stripes have rejected these arguments. So, if the left believes so strongly in this amendment, why not start over? Well, that's simple. The ERA has substantially less support today than it did in the 1970s. At the time of its passing the U.S. Congress, the ERA had broad bipartisan support. Supporters were joined by Republican Presidents Richard Nixon and Gerald Ford, as well as Democrat President Jimmy Carter, to say nothing of a coalition of leaders in Congress and various state legislatures. Since that time, however, many legal experts have weighed in on unintended consequences of the ERA, which could include the following. Should a military draft ever be reinstated, women would no longer be exempt. Women would lose many of their workplace protections, including maternity leave. Alimony protections for women could now be challenged on constitutional grounds. The tendency for women to win child custody cases would be eliminated. Additional arguments against the ERA include that it's redundant. The 14th Amendment already guarantees women's rights and privileges with language that includes the following. Quote, All persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the United States and of the state wherein they reside. No state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States, nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law nor deny to any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the laws." End quote. Today, the professional left has come up with a new idea to ram through the ERA. It hangs on a man you've likely never heard of named David Ferriero. He's the archivist of the United States. Some in the Democratic Party contend that Mr. Ferriero has the ability to simply include the ERA as the 28th Amendment to the Constitution when setting the Federal Register of the United States government making it a done deal. Such an asinine suggestion comes from the same party that descended into animalistic screeching at the very suggestion that Vice President Mike Pence might do anything other than certify and formalize the electors declaring Joe Biden the winner of the 2020 election. Here's my simple lesson for Democrats. If one man can't unilaterally overturn a presidential election, one man can't unilaterally amend the U.S. Constitution. Our republic does not stop just because you didn't get your way. We'll be right back. Earlier this week, Liberty Caller reported that the state of Florida has passed HB 1557, 
titled Parental Rights in Education. It's illegitimately maligned by critics as the Don't Say Gay Bill. As we reported previously, the bill is aimed at protecting children in third grade and under from materials and curricula that would veer into the sexually explicit and would force classroom instruction with relation to human sexuality at all levels above third grade to remain age-appropriate. There is nothing in the bill prohibiting conversations about same-sex attractions. Apparently, not everyone is satisfied with the realities of what this bill, now law, contains and instead prefer to believe the leftist lie that the bill is simply legislative gay-bashing. Hence the behavior of Disney CEO and former Trump supporter Bob Chapek. Chapek has vocally declared his opposition to the bill, and has requested to meet with Florida Governor Ron DeSantis to discuss the legislation. Frankly, this shouldn't surprise anyone, as the Walt Disney Company itself has been on a leftward slide for years. In the interest of full disclosure, my wife and I have historically been big fans of Disney and of their theme parks. Until this year, we were even annual pass holders at Walt Disney World in Florida. So what happened? We could have lived with the increased mixing in of rainbow flag-inspired merchandise at the parks and at Disney store retail locations. Disney is about family, and realistically, the American family doesn't always look like it did during Walt Disney's lifetime. Sometimes there are two daddies or two mommies. Acknowledging that fact alone does not make Disney anti-family. However, this is a small part of a broader picture. Epcot used to have a concert series focused on performers of faith. This has been eliminated, though some Christian artists still perform at Epcot's various concerts throughout the year. Disney has always been an expensive experience, but their prices have risen astronomically in recent years, far outpacing inflation. Food, beverages, merchandise, and park tickets cost more than ever before, Disney theme parks have effectively priced out the average American middle-class family, and annual pass holders like myself and my wife were told we needed to pay more and accept fewer benefits if we wanted to continue our annual membership to Walt Disney World. Merchandise offerings for Walt Disney World's 50th anniversary celebration included a $300 mini backpack, $225 Minnie Mouse ears, limited edition jeweled $750 Minnie Mouse ears, and a $1,000 gold Mickey Mouse ears hat. Yes, you heard that right. $1,000 US dollars for a Mickey Mouse ears hat. Disney and their Disney Plus streaming service have started to sneak in films and shows that are critical, if not hostile, to traditional values, not the least of which is a children's cartoon called The Owl House, which prominently features a same-sex couple as lead characters, and is focused on a child's adventures summoning demons and traveling to their realm. The company's Shop Disney marketing and promotional emails for the 4th of July last year bent over backwards to avoid American flags, patriotic symbols, or even mention America independence or national values. They even opted to a warm, summery orange color instead of the old red, white, and blue. God forbid one of the great American companies should remember 1776. Meanwhile, the merchandising and messaging for the Chinese New Year were quite vocal and lasted for months. I could go on and on with this list, but you get the point. With these and other behaviors coming from the Walt Disney Company, we can only conclude that Disney's target audience is no longer American families. Certainly not middle-class American families. As I said, they're priced out. And traditional family values? Forget it. The company that brought you Mickey Mouse, Minnie Mouse, Sunday Nights with the Wonderful World of Disney, and several generations of family entertainment is now aimed squarely at the childless millennial hipster. 
disinterested in moral values, vehemently opposed to having children, and consequently possessing an abundance of disposable income. Grab your selfie sticks, everybody, and welcome to the new Instagram-worthy Disney. Chapek's role is part of Disney's descent into a vacuous company that's more concerned with getting tagged in the social media posts of Insta-Pop-Tarts than it is with wholesome family entertainment is now solidified. Where he could have stood up and used his megaphone to stop the madness and tell people that children should be protected, irrespective of leftist propaganda that makes up inaccurate names for legislation, he instead decided to try to score cheap points with Disney's new family-hostile target demographic. We'll be right back. For nearly 40 years, the de facto ruler of the state of Illinois was Speaker Mike Madigan, former chairman of the Illinois Democratic Party. First ascending to the speakership in 1983, Madigan was and is the physical embodiment of Chicago politics and a living symbol of the one-party rule that has had a stranglehold on that state for generations of voters. The attitude in Illinois was the open assumption that Madigan was corrupt, punishing political opponents of both parties, stifling dissent, and perhaps even defrauding voters, though no charges on that were ever filed. The old joke across Illinois is that the election's not over in Chicago until all the votes come back from the cemeteries. While Madigan was assumed to be a corrupted villain, in true Windy City fashion, the correlating assumption was that he was untouchable. Recent developments are, at long last, changing all that. On March 2nd, CNN reported that Madigan was indicted by a grand jury on 22 federal charges of racketeering, bribery, and extortion. Accusations include that Madigan used his considerable political power to extort bribes and steer business to his personal law firm. Additional bombshells today, as reporting from the Chicago Tribune, reveals that Madigan solicited Alderman Daniel Solis to steer insurance business to the firm owned by Madigan's son. This request would have come in the context of the alderman's potential appointment to a state board position. While, as a former Illinois resident, I'm certainly glad to see Madigan getting some of his due, I can't help but wonder why any of this is only coming to light after the former speaker left office in 2021. Will this lead to a new era in Illinois politics? Probably not. Corruption and one-party rule have been the way of the land of Lincoln since the days of Mayor Richard J. Daley. All that's left to do now is wait and see who the new big boss in Illinois will be. With that, I'm Michael Coyne, signing off for Liberty Caller. Make sure you find us and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. Visit us at libertycaller.net and follow us on Truth Social, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Have a good night. This has been an episode of Liberty Caller with Michael Coyne, copyright 2022.